Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 100. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. The number 100 represents a milestone no matter what you're involved with. And to have Dawn Staley as our guest this episode is an even bigger milestone. Because back in March of 2017, I wrote out a list of people that I felt compelled to have as a guest. To hear their story and their journey and how sports impact their life. And on that initial list was Dawn Staley. You know her now as the head women's basketball coach for the University of South Carolina, where she resurrected the Lady Gamecocks into a national powerhouse, winning the 2017 NCAA National Championship. She was named the Naismith National College Player of the Year in 1991 and 1992, while playing for legendary coach Debbie Ryan at the University of Virginia. And she would also win Olympic gold medals for the USA Women's National team in 1996, 2000, and 2004. She would start her coaching career at Temple University in 2000 while still a player in the WNBA before eventually accepting the position at South Carolina in 2008. In 2017, Dawn was named the head coach for the USA Women's National Team and was just recently named the USA Basketball National Coach of the Year. And the name Naismith would forever be linked with Dawn in 2013 when she was elected into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Here's episode 100 with Dawn Staley. Coach Staley, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. And you're our 100th guest. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. It's, it's big time. You thought you were big time being a... Uh, <laughs> You know, Hall of Famer and national champion, but now you're the 100th guest of our podcast. I'm the sky's honored. the limit, right? I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I'm truly honored. You've been on my list for a long time when I first started this idea of starting a, a sports podcast. Mm-hmm. So I really can't thank you enough for for being my guest here. Thanks for, for sure. Me. Yes, ma'am. And now, looking back, as we want to go through your journey a little bit in terms of why is it that sports became something that you fell in love with growing up in North Philly? Um, I I, I would say that that was a neighborhood thing to do. Um, And it wasn't just one sport. It was, you know, the whole spectrum of sports. Um, And I was super competitive. Being the youngest in my family, I pretty much had to fight for everything. Any any little space (laughs) in my house um, I had to fight for. So I think my competitive juices came from, you know, right in my household. And then you, if you leave, you know, my house, you know, outside of that, you know, we're, we're guys playing in the neighborhood, playing kickball, king ball. We call it king ball. I think somebody else called it, they call it four squares. But we call it the king ball. K-I-N-G. Yes, before. That's right. That I remember before. king ball. Oh, yes. Yes. So that, you know, these are all games in which, you know, you want to participate. If you're out, then, you know, you're not part of the competition anymore. So these are games that hone my competitive um, nature. And then it, it moved to 
you know, playing softball and um, making, you know, when you couldn't play on the, we call it the big boy court, you had to figure out ways in which to be competitive. So we started to, um, we started like a crate game. You know, we take get some a good piece of wood. Now you could find it, you know, all along our neighborhood, but a good piece of wood you don't pass up. Um, you make it into a, a backboard. So you cut out the bottom of a milk crate, nail it. I mean, it doesn't take much. And I don't think I had any um, carpentry skills, but surely. Um, <laughs> you were creative, was, though. I creative. My, my, my father was somewhat of a carpenter in that he he could, you know, he could build fences in the neighborhood. He could. So he had saws, he had nails, he had hammers. So, you know, I had those things accessible to me. Um, and we utilized them, not for what I thought, you know, they would be utilized for. But when you grow up in the project, you're pretty, you know, you got these innovative ideas. You know, nothing really stops you from um, living out your competitive dreams. And that competitiveness, when did it flourish for you on the basketball court? Um, I, I mean, I think I've always been a competitive person in that. Um, just growing up again as, you know, the youngest of five, um, you look for things to, you know, to, um, expire, you know, that, that competitive drive in you. Yeah. So when Um, did you fall in love with the game of basketball and you were playing all these other sports? When did you have the rock in your hand and said, all right, this is my game? Well, you know, I think I've always been attracted to basketball. It's just that, you know, it is the sport that um, I probably became better at than the other sports. Um, and it's a sport that you really could play year round. So I needed something that's going to take up a huge chunk of my time um, after school, before school, um, holidays. So that was a sport that you could play year round, no matter how cold it is. Like, like now, you know, kids don't play outside. <laughs> we played in a hundred degree weather. We played in under freezing weather. We can't, we played in, you know, all the climates of, of the seasons. And, you know, I think basketball is the thing that stuck because, uh, probably I got my first college letter when I was in eighth grade. Um, and I, I believe it was from Dartmouth. And, um, it's probably was something that, uh, was inviting me to their camp. Um, but I took it as interest. And from then on, I knew that basketball was going to be the thing that, you know, that, that helped me, that helped advance my, my life. And how long did it take you to get on to that big boy court, so to speak, that you were talking about to play with the guys? Yeah. Um, I mean, it took a while. I mean, it took a while because you're, you know, in our neighborhood, you had like Hank Gathers, you had Bo Kimball, all these players played at, you know, high division one. You know, so and I was I was probably uh, five or six years younger than them. Um, So I had to wait till they go off to college in order for me to get my (laughs) my debut on the big boy. court. But once I got there, I stuck. Um, And primarily because of uh, my ability to pass, I was a pass first. You know, you can't guys want to shoot. Guys want to be the ones that shoot the ball. Um, So I was smarter than them in that. I started perfecting my my ability, my skill set to pass the ball. And that's what I was mainly known for growing up. But then when I played with players my age, 
I was far more advanced because I could see the game a little bit differently because when you're when you're thinking about how you can you know connect and assist to someone you're you're seeing the entire game and then you know once I played with with girls it was that much easier to kind of do whatever I needed to do or do what I wanted to do and do it very well. Were you perceived as a tomboy? I would, I would, yes, I would be conceived. I'll probably conceive as a tomboy right now too, but <laughs> you know, you know, I think it's a, you know, I think it's an attractive thing. Um, yeah, it's not a negative. No, no, it's not a negative. But was it a negative it, back it, then? It was a negative back then because, you know, I, I grew up in a, you know, harsh neighborhood that, you know, we, Certain things are aesthetically correct. You know, girls play with girls, girls play rope, girls play, you know, whatever it is that girls play, and boys play sports. And I was uh, a lot different um, in that I wasn't really, you know, attracted to jumping rope. You know, my jumping and running had to either end in an assist or a basket, not, you know, like a missed jump rope. I don't, you know, I didn't, that wasn't attractive to me. So yes, I did get a little, um, a little, you know, nonsense, you know, verbal, you know, verbal abuse. It's called verbal abuse now. You know, back then it was just part of what the neighborhood, I think it's just things that strengthened me as a person. So I was going to say, how did it, how did it shape you? You know, I, I, I'm my own person. Um, you know, I, I took those hits. And I, I, as I reflect on it, it's helped me. It's helped me um, thicken my skin to be able to deal with anything. Like name calling, you know, that really doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I imagine there was a lot of trash talking out oh, there at the big boy court. A lot of trash talking, <laughs> a lot of, you know, I mean, things that you had to persevere and it, it's, it's just strength, you know, that adds value to what my life would end up needing. Um, so, you know, if I had to say anything to anybody that's going through something like that, a young person, um, don't back down, you know, stand, stand true to what you believe. Yeah. Did in you have times you where you had to stand up for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I had to stand up for myself. I mean, I don't, I didn't get in very physical you know, altercations. There were one or two in my, you know, in my, in my young life. Um, and, and, and when you, when I reached that point, um, there wasn't any turning back. So I had to either defend myself or I got, I got my butt kicked, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't get my butt kicked too often. <laughs> I don't so. imagine so. <laughs> Definitely do not yeah. imagine that. What was the gravitational pull to go sign with Debbie Ryan at UVA because Charlottesville is, it's different than yeah. North Philly. Yeah, that's for sure. Predominantly white. Yes. Um, I'm a big relationship person. You know, Debbie started recruiting me when I was ninth grade, eighth, ninth grade. That early. Yeah, that early. Right. So, you know, she made an impression. Um, the, the entire staff made an impression on me. So when you want to recruit me that early and being from the projects, we're not very trusting and we don't let very many people in our circle. So it, it, it really took some, you know, some time for me to really feel comfortable with Debbie. I think she used humor um, and she you know, to relate to me. You know, Saturday Night Live was big back then. And, 
And I think they had like the church lady. I think that was one of the characters on the show. So, you know, Debbie would almost sound like the church lady to me. So, and she was short like the church lady and she would say that. So I would kind of get this visual in my head. And I thought it was pretty funny, you know. Um, and I find myself um, stupid to the levels of the church lady as a, as a coach now. <laughs> so I learned some things from Debbie and that you got to find. So you like the humor side. I did. I, I like the humor side. I like the fact that she was, you know, she never gave up. You know, no matter what signs I gave her. And I don't know, I probably was an unruly young person, um, very shy. So I didn't, I wasn't very, you know, conversational. I, I probably didn't say very little and she did all the talking. But um, slowly but surely, I loosened up and I was able to, you know, give her a little bit more of me as the recruiting process went along and and it stuck. Yeah. Have you found yourself now older and wiser, obviously, that you're not as guarded or you're, are you still guarded today in terms of trusting people? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty guarded. I'm pretty guarded when it comes to trusting. It takes, it takes a while. Um, and that's probably something that, uh, from my childhood that stuck with me. Um, but when you're in, you know, you're in for life. I mean, I don't, you know, there, there are my friends that I have in my life that have been in my life forever. Um, and you know, they've, you know, actually, um, if I could, if I could uh, use an analogy, in that I was like an onion. They were able to peel back my layers, um, and you know, and and allow me to grow, allow me to have a sense of friendship, allow me to, you know, to um, let down my guard. And then be vulnerable. And that's what most people are guarded against is being vulnerable and being hurt. Well, and I think it's fascinating, too, just from a, an athletic performance standpoint, when you're on the court and you are well known as your toughness on the court, kind of a spark plug type of player as well, and being mentally tough. So I've always been fascinated of how athletes can balance that challenge of being mentally tough during game times, in you know, also as you're trying to perfect your craft, but also being vulnerable to allow people in. So has that been a challenge for you when you view it from that standpoint of being mentally tough, but also being vulnerable at the same time? Well, I, I don't think it's a challenge for me. It's a, it's a challenge for other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, you know, as you get older, you, you, you get more guarded. You know, the people that have been in your life are... You know, sticklers, new people, it's, it's really hard, you know, to allow them in. Um, you know, like, like take for instance, you know, my, my now financial advisor, um, he was a young guy, you know, 10 years ago. I, mean, I met him here at South Carolina and he used to call, he called up, you know, the office, um, and he just kept calling and he courted me for a year. And, um, finally I agreed to meet with him <laughs> I did. after all of that, you know, after putting them off and putting them off, he was very persistent. Um, so after, you know, I let him in and he wanted everything he wanted, he wanted accounts here, there, you know, I was probably a little unorganized, <laughs> but he helped me organize everything. And, you know, 11 year, years later, he's still, you know, I don't change very often. So 
You know, he's a, he's a stickler, and that's kind of how it how it is. You 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 got you almost have to break me down um, to ensure me that you know this is what you want, um, and um, you you gotta be good too. Y'all be good at your job. Of you course, can't just, yes. You know, you can't just say, okay, here here you go. Um, and that's that's kind of my friends, you know. And so loyalty is very important for you. Huge, huge, huge. I'm a I'm a Taurus by nature, but if you look Same at here. all the, you know, uh, adjectives to describe, but I I am that to a to a T. Um, so I'm loyal, but if you cross me, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard getting back in. So it's, it's that trust really factor, right? It's, it's it's a huge trust factor. Huge. Huge. And that's why I don't let people in because I don't want that feeling. You know, I don't want that feeling. How do you approach it then when you're now recruiting? You're the one out there trying to build that relationship with probably some young women that are in, were in the same boat as you as far as being guarded. So how do you approach that? Um, my, my recruiting style, you know, if we come in late, more times than not, we probably I, I won't get the kid because. I'm a grinder. I, I need to, I need the relationship. I know recruits are thinking, you know, they need a relationship, but I need a relationship. I need to spend some time with you, with your, you know, with your parents, you know, with the people that are your support system. I, I need to feel good on all levels. Um, and that's why, you know, it takes, it takes years to recruit a, a player. A prospect, um, not because I, you know, I'm, I'm always even if a, a top player wanted to just say, "Oh, I want to come to South Carolina," you know, I'm like, "Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let's make sure this <laughs> exactly. is what you want to do." Yeah, because it's a commitment now. It's a huge commitment. It's a huge, and I, I want them to get to know me. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of me, because I, I know no one's perfect, but there's certain triggers for me um, that lets me know. That one, they can handle me, um, that I can handle them. Um, so I I need to grind out the, the process and not be a you know quick, you know, a quick commitment. And when you say the good, the bad, the ugly, what are some of the areas that you've been working on through your life in terms of what you feel is kind of the, the bad or the ugly? Um, I, I think I can be perceived as uh, harsh or you know, intense, um, as a coach, um, off the floor though. I mean, I think I balance it with, I balance it with love. I mean, I'm a practical joker. I like to, I like to have fun. I like, you know, I think I, I, I do a, a really good job and I'm patting myself on the back of compartmentalizing my life. You know, I give everything. And that's difficult to do. It, it is difficult yes. to do, but once you give the energy to whatever it is that needs it, whether it's, you know, correcting the player, whether it's praising the player, whether it's joking with them off the floor, whether it's, you know, drawing a line and say, hey, you, you're, you're going too far with, you know, I'm not your friend, you know, so we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have a, 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 a profane fame conversation, you know, so, you know, I think you and that's that's a part of teaching and that's a part of respecting people's space, um, mine and theirs as a as a as a player. So, you know, for for me, um, I just, you know, I just give 
that space, whatever's, whatever's needed. And the thing about me is um, I work on, you know, I work on not holding grudges because that's one of the things that, you know, stubborn Tauruses <laughs> will do is hold a grudge. Um, the good thing about getting older is, you know, you rid yourself of holding grudges because you don't remember half of the stuff that's going on. Agreed. So, so you know, I, I think I've gotten better in that area. And what about from a coaching standpoint when coaching South Carolina versus coaching the USA women's national team? Similar, different? Oh, very different. In what ways? um, We're talking pros. These are the best that our country have to offer. Um, They've been through the, the games of being young um, and pretty much shortchanging the game. They are, you know, lean. You know, I, I, I take a, a, I take a, a college player, and you know, the lean part of them is very small. You know, as you advance in this, in this game, you'll you'll find that players just cut the fat off of their games, and they. You know, they work on their games. They, they, they approach it a lot differently. Like, they don't want to be in the gym for three hours. They really don't want to be in the gym for two hours. So they give you what they got in the time uh, that you say. It, it is quality over quantity with them. It's trimming the fat off of, you know, what it is. Tell me what you want. And they, and they do it. You know, with college players, they say, um, tell me what you want. I'm going to do it when I feel like doing it. <laughs> and then you spend, you know, three hours working on something. If they got it, you know, the first time, we can be out of there. Like we can, we can be, move on. Yeah, we can move on. And, you know, and the difference is you, they are motivated. You know, the, the pros, they're, they're, they're highly motivated players. Um, some of the college players, some of them are highly motivated you know, but some of them aren't. So when you have a mixture of the two, sometimes um, they help and they hurt each other, depending on how you're motivated and unmotivated. They help and hurt at different times, and we have to figure out, well, what day are they hurting and helping? And that's a challenge. That's a, that's a huge challenge, but it's a, it, I'm drawn to challenges. My, my, my way of looking at it is how do I get them to trim the fat off of their games much earlier than – then, you know, these, when becoming a pro, I, I always tell our players, um, you, you have to form habits, good habits, very good habits. If you form these habits now, if you, if you're blessed enough to get an opportunity to play pro, pro basketball, you know, how are you going to be, beat out a, a five-year vet that's been in the game that, you know, they know, they actually know how to cut corners and make it look like they're not cutting corners. Whereas this young pup coming into the league, they haven't figured out nutrition. They haven't figured out how to play a back-to-back. They haven't figured out how to play three games in four days. And that's all mental preparation. You have to be mentally prepared for when physically you're not as strong as uh, you, not as strong on a, 
on the on the second day of a back to back. You know, you're tired. Everybody's tired. What is your edge when everybody's tired? Something else has to kick in. And mentally, that's what that's the separator. So why are you drawn <laughs> to challenges then? Um, you know, I, I, I like to. I'm, I'm a I'm just I, I like to I'm a builder, you know, so I like to figure out, you know, how to create a, a strong foundation. So, you know, as you build on top of that foundation, that's going to be there forever. So I like to take a, a young player, you know, that hasn't figured it all out, but, you know, is talented and has some drive. How I help them tap into their, their motivation and their drive to become a complete player a lot sooner than they need to be. So I want them to be a step or two ahead of where they need to be um, each year that they're here under under our coaching staff. Would you ever consider coaching a men's team? That would be a challenge. Yeah, that, that would be a challenge. Um, I You know, I have no desire. I, I don't even really have a desire to coach WNBA players besides in the capacity that I that I have. Like the pro game isn't for me. I, I want to And why develop, is the pro game not for you? I want to develop young people. And not to say that I can't help develop a, a pro player, but I, I want to safeguard against um, not having a pro league, meaning I want to develop these young players so our program is at a place where it can stand the test of time historically. So historically speaking, um, and I just don't have a desire. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of my old coaches in the league, they probably thought I wanted to coach in the league, and I've n- I've never wanted to. <laughs> there was there's no ounce of me that wants to coach at that level, um, and I mean I could have. Yeah. I mean there are, well, there were opportunities. People came and I interviewed. Well, I imagine for, so. You know, but that's never been my desire to do that. I'm I'm very happy where I am. Um, helping our young people see um, that they can make a life of, of being a professional athlete. It's a it's a wonderful life if you're if you're ever um, have the opportunity to do it. It is quite an incredible experience. It'll take you all over the world. It will, you know, it will broaden you culturally. Um, you will gain friendships that you'll have forever. And as we're wrapping up here, as you've been through this journey and been all over the world, what are some words of wisdom that has meant a lot to you? And it could be phrases, quotes, mottos, or just life advice that you would like to share. I mean, I have two, two that I live by. And one is the disciplined person can do anything, anything. Now, there's two sides of that now. You could be disciplined to help you and you could be disciplined to hurt you because you could be real good at a negative in your life and you just continue to feed it. It grows big and big, just like something, you know, positive. Um, So, you know, although it's a powerful quote, you know, it's powerful both ways. Um, And then (laughs) something probably less, um, I guess, has less depth to it, but is equally as powerful is, and I got it off of a, a house party um, 
matinee. I watched House Party <laughs> 1, House Party 2. I, you know, when you're overseas, you do anything to entertain you. But, you know, I found a, a life motto um, after watching House Party. I think it was House Party 2 in that um, a professor told, you know, one of the stars. Was it kid or play? Who, who it, was, it, was, it was kid. <laughs> it was kid or play. They both were, you know, they both were in college. And the professor said, you have to do what you don't want to do to get what you want. And, you know, I, I go I go talk to kids in high school. I ask them, how many, how many want to go to college? They all raise their hands. Elementary, how many people want to go to the middle school? You know, and they all raise their hands. How many people want to ace uh, A in your class? They all, well, how many people want to actually go to school? And then you don't get as many. You don't get as many. So you have to go to school That's in right. order for you to get the A. So, you know, it's, 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 it, it, it's, you, you, it can be applied to anything in life. If you want to it be is. a doctor, well, hell, you got to study biology. You know, you got to do something. There's no easy path to it. Um, but once you settle in on doing what you don't want to do, you will get what you want. Agreed 100%, and that's well said. Coach Daly, thank you so much for being our 100th guest. I 100. can't thank you enough. 100 is, is, uh, is actually a, um, a popular um, theme for us. I think we won a national championship when, when, we were, when our theme was 100. It makes so perfect that. sense that we're look together that. then. 100th episode <laughs> then. Yes, awesome. Thank Coach you. Daly, thank you. Thank you. Relationships in life are built on trust, especially if you want those relationships to last. And I have a motto that I often tell my kids, never lie to earn trust and never trust a liar. And it's evident that Dawn not only values trust, but it's a two-way street for her where she's wanting to earn trust with those around her just as much as she's wanting to trust those around her. And when you can have that type of foundation, then a team can truly come together in order to strive for success no matter what the adversity. Now that finishes episode 100 and the journey with the first 100 guests has been simply amazing. And there's so many people to thank, but just know there's also so much more to come in the future. Now remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 